I grew up in a card-playing family. Anyone else? On visits to my extended family in Pennsylvania, when dinner was over, inevitably somebody broke out cards and games were on. My entree into playing cards started as early as I knew my numbers. There was war, where you play a card and your opponent plays a card and the highest card takes the trip, repeat, until someone loses all the cards. Even as a toddler, I knew that was dull as dirt. (laughs) As I got older, I was initiated into playing a game called 500, which I played with both my paternal and maternal extended families. How I played was determined by whether I was at my my maternal grandparents' basement card table or my paternal grandparents' kitchen table. Because on my mom's side of the family, my sister and I were counseled to bid conservatively. Overbid and you were sternly rebuked. Don't take me in the hole again. Slow and steady wins the race. But on my dad's side of the family, underbidding was the crime. If you bid seven and you made nine, oh, would you hear about it? I can hear my grandfather saying gruffly, you can't win big if you don't bid big girls. For thousands of years, we human beings have been trying to determine what makes us tick. Philosophers, scientists, and psychiatrists have offered up all sorts of competing theories. Think back to your psychology and philosophy classes and recall the nature-nurture debate. There are those, of course, who have been convinced that heredity and genetics, otherwise known as nature, write the script for us. We're dealt a hand of cards dictated by the many thousands of generations that preceded us, and then we play those cards out like we're dealt, like that simple, boring card game war. On the other end of the spectrum are those that credit our behavior to learning, experience, nurture. In this camp, philosophers like John Locke deem babies a blank slate, our learning, what and how we are taught, is in my 500 card games, dictates the game ahead. Amazing new technologies and research methodologies have breathed new life into this age-old nature-nurture debate. The Human Genome Project opened up a whole world of knowledge, deepening our understanding of DNA. And researchers conducted in-depth twin studies so that scientists might understand how people with identical DNA could turn out so very differently. Studies revealed convincingly, if not at all surprisingly, that both nature and nurture are important. David Moore, author of The Developing Genome, says, for the longest time, the nature-nurture debate has been cast as a kind of contrast between genes and experience. The thought that we might have some characteristics that are caused primarily by genetic factors and other characteristics that are caused primarily by experiential factors. He suggests asking which is more important, genes or environment, is kind of like asking which is more important in making an ordinary automobile run, spark plugs or gasoline. You need both. In just the last decade or so, scientists are recognizing that genes and environment are not two separate buckets, really, as they were once conceived. 
Instead, nature and nurture are beautifully interwoven, amazingly interdependently interwoven. My favorite card game now is called Wizard. Anybody? So good. (laughs) It's a little like 500 in that there's bidding and there's trump, but there's also this great invention called a jester card. When someone plays a jester at any point in the game, the card suddenly changes trump, the power suit. That means you could be slogging away with a seemingly horrible hand, but then someone throws a jester, and all of a sudden trump switches from hearts to clubs or clubs to diamond, and what was a big mess of your hand completely shifts. Jesters open up completely new possibilities, a whole new game. Similarly, scientists have discovered that through what's called epigenetics, meaning literally in addition to genetics, our genes are chemically modified, made active or inactive, switched on and switched off, expressed or not expressed, because of the context that they're in. So the genes themselves stay the same, but how those genes express themselves changes as a result of experience and environment. Nature and nurture are dancing together all of the time to create the me's that we are. David Morgan says, what counts is not the genes you have, but what your genes are doing. Back to writer Nessa Carey, she says, if the DNA sequence was all that mattered, identical twins would always be absolutely identical in every way, And we would all look like big amorphous blobs because all the cells in our body would be completely identical. Epigenetics is the mechanism by which the cells with the same genetic code express different parts of it during development. So epigenetics decides what becomes a liver cell, what becomes a muscle, what becomes a brain, or any of the hundred other cell types in the human body. With me so far? Okay. I can geek out on this stuff. (laughs) David Moore details in the developing genome one seminal study that informs our understanding of epigenetics. Scientists took a bunch of rat mothers, and they observed how the rat mothers parented the rat babies. And what they found was that some of the rat mamas were much more interactive with the rat babies, grooming them, and licking them much more often than some of the other baby rats got licked and groomed. So the baby rats who got licked and groomed more often grew up to be more resilient when they grew up. They responded with less stress to difficult situations. The rat babies who weren't licked and groomed were far more stressed out. What researchers discovered through their experiments was that there were particular genes that were being turned on when the babies received frequent grooming and licking. When those genes were turned on, they caused cells to build proteins that resulted in an ability to deal more effectively with stress. And amazingly, those lucky rats passed on their fortunate genetic inheritance to future generations. In other studies, researchers looked at the descendants of those who survived famines. They determined in many cases that people who survived famines had a gene that was turned on, which increased the accumulation of body fat when there was food available so that if a famine occurred, they would be more likely to survive. The flipped switch on 
could be passed on to future generations. Now, for most of us in Hickory, North Carolina, or Charlotte, with Bojangles and Chick-fil-A on every corner, this flipped-on gene is not terribly helpful. (laughs) While flipped genetic switches can create great challenges, they can also ensure nothing less than survival. In an experiment with yeast cells, researchers shined ultraviolet light on the yeast. A lot of the yeast didn't survive the test, but some did. In the yeast that survived, a switch got flipped on so that the genes for resilience expressed themselves. And the cells that survived passed on that resilience trigger to all the successive generations. (coughs) Reverend Karen Chikoyan, reflecting on this experiment, says, Resilience is built right into us, baked into us. Code that can be turned on at exactly the right time. And the even more amazing part is that we can pass that resilience down to our children. The switch that turns on at just the right time, we can pass that on to our children too. That's amazing. Now, all of this science is so new that scientists don't really know too much about how, how often, and in what circumstances epigenetic flip switches transmit to future generations. Yet, Even at this early stage, epigenetic research opens up amazing possibilities and is already radically changing the way we think about human development. Think of the ramifications. Some are terrifying. A pesticide that has the capacity to trigger the expression of an unhelpful gene might not just impact the person experiencing it in 2018, but maybe subsequent generations. But excitingly, if we humans can learn how to flip our genetic switches on and off, we've potentially found solutions to many of the challenges that have been plaguing humanity. We'll likely be seeing the impact of epigenetic research in our pharmacies and in our doctor's offices. There's a skincare startup, EpigenCare, that promises to collect your DNA and create a skincare regimen from your personal genetic structure. In the not-too-distant future, we may see effective drugs that can switch genes on and off for cancer, for depression, autism, and schizophrenia. Self-help gurus, life coaches, and authors, including Bruce Lipton and Joe Dispenza, have looked at early discoveries in epigenetic research and claim that we can and we should do what we can by our own power to flip our own genetic switches for powerful effect. Deepak Chopra encouraged his readers to make New Year's resolutions for their genes. (laughs) (coughs) Might work. These hope-filled helpers suggest that practicing meditation and gratitude and affirmations, as well as the basics of getting adequate sleep and exercise, Create the conditions, create the fertile ground that encourage epigenetic shifts in our mind-body system. While such leaps in thinking have been bashed pretty mercilessly by skeptical scientists, what is clear is we don't know what we don't know yet. In delving into the science over the last few weeks, it's really kind of amazing to me how little we know about these body-minds of ours. There's this elegant mystery 
operating within us all the time. And nobody gave us a manual. Still, we know enough, perhaps, for a couple takeaways. For all of our own personal struggles, and who among us doesn't have a core struggle or two of two or ten, knowing what we know about epigenetics, maybe we can greet those struggles that we face with a little more compassion. Some of us did get dealt really challenging hands. Who knows? Maybe ancestors we didn't even know were parented by the human version of the low-licking, grooming rat mother. (laughs) Maybe they were neglected in such a way that genes in us today are being expressed, making us more prone to depression or anxiety or mental health issues. Maybe you've always had a significant challenge keeping weight off, not because of a failing of self-control, but because your great-great-grand and Claudette went through the Irish potato famine. We don't know. (laughs) Don't we deserve compassion, all of us, for this? Haven't we done the best we have possibly done with the hands that we've been dealt? We're here, which means that We haven't thrown the cards in or given up. We can, and we should, compassionately accept the hands we've been dealt. However, we can't lose this lesson from epigenetics either. Because epigenetics reminds us that the very capacity to change is encoded within us. We don't know all the mechanisms by which we can flip the switches on our genes, but we do know that the brilliant life force that created galaxies and oceans has baked into our own human system the possibility of amazing grace. People do change. Patterns do change. Haven't you seen it? I've seen it in lunches with my friends, in jailhouses, in 12-step rooms, and in interactions with you. Nessa Carey said, sometimes the greatest scientific breakthroughs happen because someone ignores the prevailing pessimism. Let's venture that that's true of personal breakthroughs, too. 